You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. And here we go again. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Sorry I didn't get uh, one out Monday, but I was in a bit of a food coma uh, Sunday night for the Super Bowl. That was nuts. But uh, today, we have a really cool and interesting podcast. Uh, it's, uh, it's a guy named Patrick. He's from South Dakota, and he has a very interesting scouting technique that he uses to uh, find big mature deer on public land and there's a huge story behind this uh i can't i couldn't believe it but he's got the pictures and he's got the uh, videos to back it up and uh so it it just it blows my mind how innovative people can be when it comes to finding solutions to kill a big mature buck and uh patrick rubendahl today is going to share his story with us about how he first of all finds the public land he wants to hunt then how he how he goes about tracking down those deer and ultimately killing them Uh, we're going to talk about one story in particular so uh, it's uh, it's pretty unique it's pretty crazy and uh, I think you guys are going to like it but before we get into that podcast let's hear what the president of ripcord arrow rest Keith Dvorsnak has to say about the benefits of a drop-away rest. Well, the benefits of a drop-away rest is you have less arrow contact on that rest, which gives you better accuracy, um, tighter groups, especially at longer distance. Um, It also allows you to get away with a little more hand torque and guys that punch the trigger or anything. Um, Like I said, less arrow contact on that launcher the more accurate it's going to be. For more information about Ripcord, visit ripcordarrowrest.com. You can also check them out on Facebook. Head over to their Facebook page and comment Nine Fingers Sent You just to let them know where you came from. Other than that, I did forget one thing in the intro. So I recently got a text from my taxidermist Sam Gaylord of Old Barn Taxidermy in Fort Madison, Iowa. Uh, And he let me know that my mount was ready, uh, my 2016 buck. So I ended up uh, taking a little road trip with my wife and my stepdad this weekend to go pick it up. And while I was there, I asked him a couple questions, had had a short conversation with him. And the very first question that I asked him was, when looking for a taxidermist, what are some things to consider? You know, I think I get a lot of phone calls. Um, guys, first, first thing they do, they're always asking price. Uh, typically, that's the first thing out of their mouth. You know, what, what's the cost? And I think uh, 
you know, when you're looking at like a deer head, you look at an average price will run into that $500 range. Uh, you know, you got guys out there doing it for $300. You got guys doing it for $700. But, you know, you, you start looking at average price. But I, I, I really think price shouldn't be the driving force. I, I think when you call when you call a new taxidermist, first thing with social media, you can get on their website or you can get on their Facebook page and look at their work. Look, look at what they're doing. Uh, there's a lot of really, really fantastic taxidermists out there, and there's a lot of guys that are learning, and, and even the guys that are learning, you know, there's a place for all of them. I mean, you know, if a guy is on a budget, he doesn't want to spend a lot of money, and he's willing to go to that guy that's learning. I mean, we all had to start from somewhere, so I guess you just need to sit back, evaluate what you want. You want a, you want a world-class, nice mount, okay, that that's what would come to my brain first? I, I want something nice. Okay, so now I'm going to look at my area and see who who or how many tax numbers are in my area. And with social media and Google and the local newspaper, I mean, you can get an idea who's in your area. Uh, if you can't, go to your state association. Every state has its own tax number association. Uh, most of the credible tax numbers belong to that association. That's and that's a great place to look in your area, but to, to get back on on focus here, find out a handful of guys in your area, uh, talk to your friends, look at look at the work they've had. Um, but when you call that taxidermist, I mean price, you always want to know what it is. I, I understand that, but first thing I would ask is, uh, can I come by your shop and look at your work? I mean that's highly important. You're going to want to come in. You're going to want to look and, and and see the quality of work that they're doing. Um, then you can ask price. Then you want to, you know, definitely want to talk a little bit about turnaround. Uh, there's some guys that, uh, get the stuff back pretty quick. And there's some guys that, you know, are out there a ways. And, and that's, that's a, a critical, uh, uh, make or break situation for some hunters. So you're going to want to know, you know, your sort of turnaround times, but definitely before you just can look at the price, because the difference between a $300 amount and a seven hundred dollar mount's four hundred bucks, but if you're twenty five, thirty years old, you're gonna look at this thing for fifty years. Yeah. It becomes literally ten dollars a year to have a better mount on your wall. Uh, not casing on them low dollar mounts. There's a place for that. There's 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 a tax numbers for everybody. Is what I say. Yeah. But definitely look at the quality. Get to know the guy. You know, build a relationship. Um, I tell everybody cheating on your tax numbers is about worse than cheating on your wife. I mean, that's the kind of relationship a guy a guy builds with his right. with his hunter and the tax numbers. But, uh, but don't be afraid to walk in and, and look around and and say, hey, you know, uh, I got it in my truck, but you know, I want to see a couple other. I mean, just don't be afraid to walk out. I mean, I know it hurts some feelings, but you're gonna look at this thing forever. So make sure you get what you want. The next question I threw his way was, what is the difference between a good taxidermist and a great taxidermist? I think a lot of it is continuing education. Uh, the guys that really set themselves apart from the average guy, he has the passion to take that craft to the next level. He wants to go to the guy that's better than him and spend the money for a day class or two day class to, to, uh, to improve his, his skills. Um, I talked to some really good tax terms. I'm the president of our state association. So I know a lot of them. I talked to some really good tax terms that are, that could be great tax terms if they weren't closed minded in that way. You know, they're like, I'm self-taught. I'm old school. Well, 
you know, you're only going to get to such a plateau being a self-taught old school guy. I mean, you definitely got to got to take it to that next level. And, and, and I tell everybody I'm a product of my state association. Um, you get in there, you get to meet who's who, you get to know how good they are. You make friends, you know, and then it's a learning. It's all about learning. You never quit learning in this in this business. And when you think you're the best, you look next door and the guy's better. I mean, it's and you, and you got to self challenge yourself. I mean, you, you got to get up in the morning and think, you know, I, I'm not. I don't want to just put out a deer head. I want to put out a piece of art. Yeah. You know. So, Amen. but I, I think the difference between, like you said, a good and great is is the willingness to just to know that you're not the best and, and, and want to get involved with people who are the best. And, and this industry's changed. Back in the 90s, the really good guys, they wouldn't tell you how to get any better. But it's not like that anymore. I mean, the good guys will bring you right in their shop, show you all their secrets. I mean, it's really, it's became a, a more of a family versus, I mean, you, you have your local guys that might not love one another. Yeah. But, you know, that's just business. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, there's a lot of sharing going on in this industry. And if you're willing to share and you're willing to go and you're willing to learn and you're willing to be open-minded, you're going to be a great tax service. And there's, and there's ability. Right. Some people don't have the ability. I mean, you know, some people are artists and some people aren't. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, if you got, and it's passion. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hundred percent passion. Yeah. If you're not passionate about it, you're never going to be great. Right. So, the next conversation I had with Sam was if he could provide us with any tips about the steps that need to take place from the time an animal is shot to the time you get it to the taxidermist. I think the, the biggest thing is you got to get it to the taxidermist as soon as possible. I mean, the minute you pull the trigger or you send that arrow into that animal and it dies, it starts to deteriorate. Um, what happens is, is a bacteria will set into the hair follicles and literally cause the hair to fall out, which we call is slipping. Um, We deal with that on a day by day basis because, you know, you got all kinds of different, you got group hunters, you got guys that hang their stuff. You got deer that get shot, don't get found to the next day. I mean, so, you know, once we get a hold of it, there's things that we do to try to kill the bacteria. So it doesn't continue to harm, but to get a world-class quality mount, you want to get that to your tax term as soon as possible. There's a few things you don't want to do. You don't want to drag it with a four-wheeler because, and if you do, put it in a sled or something yeah. because what you do is you drag that hair off of a shoulder, uh, which it's it's not repairable. It, it just isn't. I mean, a guy can make it look somewhat better, but it's not going to look fantastic. Um, don't cut the throat. And a lot of old school guys, they want to bleed them out. They want to go in and, and uh, cut that throat crossways. And, and when you do that, you're just you're cutting hair that's never going to look right again. So, I mean, do not ever, ever cut the throat. When you field dress your deer, just bring it up to the rib cage. Don't hack into the rib cage. I mean, I know it's a little bit more of a pain uh, to get them lungs out and, and get that heart out. But if you're going to mount it, it's worth the pain not, not to split that up. Um, that is a lot easier fix for a taxidermist than a cutthroat because, you know, when you are splitting that going north and south on that deer, you're going with the hair, so the cross hair. So, I mean, it fixes easy, but if you don't have to, you don't have to. 
The next thing that I see comes in butchered up all the time is people don't give you enough cape. When you're going, when you know you're going to mount it, field dress it, get it out of the timber as less evasive as you possibly can. Um, get it in your truck, get it home, and get it caped out. Get it up on a rack, skin it down. And, and what I do is I come about six to eight inches behind the leg and ring that deer. And then I split up the back of the armpits and right through the armpits and up. What I get a lot of deer where the guys don't give me enough cape in the front. And then you end up having one mounted. And I'll show you over here on the wall. You'll have one mounted that the form sticks out. Well, you know, there's things we do. We build little rock dioramas and yeah. we'll, we'll hide it. But it just, it's going to cost you extra money. And, and, but uh, the biggest key I, that I believe is, is to get it to your taxidermist as soon as possible. Give him enough cape. Don't drag the hair off of it. Don't run it around showing all your buddies. Don't leave it back your truck. I mean, if, if a cape is going to slip, or that hair is going to fall out, it's because that it laid in the back of a truck with the exhaust right underneath the bed, you know, and that shoulder is going to go. Uh, so you don't want it in your truck very long. You don't want it in the sunlight. I mean, you're, you're going to want to get it in and, and take care of it right away. I mean, I know everybody wants to show them off, and I do too, but uh, get some good pictures, use social media to show it off, and get it to your tax numbers. Huge shout out to Sam at Old Barn Taxidermy. He did one hell of a job on my mount. It looks gorgeous and it's going to be hanging on my wall for a very, very long time. So thanks to him. Let's see what else here. I don't think I have anything else to say, so I'm going to shut my mouth. And let's get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Patrick Rubendahl. Patrick Rubendahl, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, Dan. How are you? You know, I I uh, told you this before we got on the recording, but the reason I pushed this meeting back today is because I wanted to go shed hunting. So thank you very much, first of all, for being flexible. Yeah, I think I told you what I was doing when I got your text. I was doing the same thing. So Nice, nice. So yeah. birds of a feather, right? That's right. All right. So... Well, I got I got a lot of questions for you today because number one, you sent me some pictures of some pretty big bucks, and and uh, you know I'm looking at through these pictures, I'm looking at these videos, and uh, you, it looks like you had a successful season, and and mm-hmm. uh, and then I see you say it was 100% on public ground. And so that sparked a lot of interest because a lot of the listeners for this podcast are public land hunters. And with this whole public Mm -hmm. land uh, movement, keep it public movement that's going on, I think your story is a really, really cool story to share. But before we get into all the meat and potatoes and stuff, why don't you tell us where you live and what do you do for a living? Yeah, I live in T, South Dakota, T-E-A. It's a little suburb of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is the largest city in South Dakota. Southeast South Dakota is where I live. Okay. And what do you do for a living? I am a sales rep for a company called Hilliard, and we are a manufacturer of janitorial chemicals and gym floor finishes and things like that. So nine months out of the year, I'm driving around selling to schools, healthcare facilities, industrial, cleaning products, machines, um, 
things like that. And then I refinish about 50 gym floors in the summer in schools. So, yeah. So not, not only do you do the sales, but you do some of the installation as well of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, yeah, we, because, you know, we're pretty proud of our product. We want it to be put down, um, the right way. So, so we do it. We're all trained to do it. You know, our company is, you know, we're in the basketball hall of fame and we are the leader in gym floor finishes. So, so yeah, that's, it's a great job. So, so you just have to, I mean, you do a lot of driving. Why don't you, we had a really, it's unfortunate. We had a really good conversation, um, about, you know, the amount that you drive throughout the state. Why don't you kind of, um, because I feel that this will add to the story once we get into it, but yep. talk about how many miles you drive in a year and, and the range that you drive. Yeah. Well, I, I cover Southeast South Dakota, Northeast Nebraska. So, um, if it means anything, I bought a 2016 Subaru Outback first week of December and last year, and it now has 61,000 miles on it. So <laughs> I drive about 55, 60,000 miles a year. And I'm not going to admit on the air how many of those hours are hunting and fishing, but I, I drive a lot. Right. So right. you get paid I mileage? The, uh, no, it's, I'm a straight commission sales rep. Okay. So I hit, I hit my mileage tax deduction and I'm done. But nice. so I cover if, um, so I basically can hunt from, you know, the, the East border of South Dakota all the way to the Missouri river, which is probably 200 miles maybe. So in South Dakota, there's millions and millions, thank God, acres of public land. And I will drive, um, and I'll have my game fishing parks app on that shows, you know, it's live and it shows all the public walk in, uh, crep, you know, federal school and public lands land. And I'll be driving down the road. And if I see that I'm close, you know, I'll, I'll take gravel, you know, or I'll take minimum maintenance. I've taken that Subaru down any road and, (laughs) and I always have cameras with me and I will, you know, see a deer trail going through the ditch or I'll look at the terrain and, and I'll pop a camera up and I'll just check it, you know, in a couple of weeks. And I do that basically year round. So it's, it's pretty awesome. And the terrain in South Dakota changes about every hundred miles probably. So it's, it's lots of different types of hunting. So it's, it's very cool. So starting this I think this is a good spot to start from, right? So okay. you yeah. you hunt 100% on public ground, right? But yep. there's a reason why you hunt. Yep. Okay, yep. so why don't you I, fill us in on that story first? Okay. It's it's kind of long and and dramatic, but um so I am 50 years old. I'll be 51 here in a couple weeks, but um in uh in 2010 i got a divorce and i lost a 20-year job in the same year and i 
got in a dispute with my family. I grew up on a ranch and I hunted rifle um, and bow. And I, you know, I killed my first pheasant probably when I was six years old, you know, so I grew up hunting and in 2010, I got in an, a fight with my family and I lost access to the family farm. So, um, I basically took all of my guns and bows and mounts and everything and gave them away and quit hunting for four, four or five years. And last year, 2015, my youngest son, who was a senior in high school, wanted me to go hunting with him because he, he hunts with his buddies. He bow hunts and, and, uh, he said, dad, you need to get a bow. You need to start hunting again. And so I went and I got a bow and, and we started hunting together and it, it brought us back together big time. And both of my kids, I used to drag them to tree stands when they were like three and four years old, you know, and they grew up walking across and I, and I taught them how to, I, I feel to hunt right, you know, to pay attention to the hawks and the birds and the bugs and, and all of that stuff. And basically in South Dakota, if you grow up deer hunting, the way you learn to deer hunt in South Dakota is now with cell phones used to be with CBs and pickups, you know, everybody in town surrounding a section and, uh, chasing everything that moves. And I always hated that. And I taught my kids that was wrong and that sort of thing. But anyway, so last year I, I hunted and, but it was really crazy hunting public land. I had no idea even how to do it. I actually talked to a coworker and I said, how do you do it? Where do you start? You know? And it's funny. I, you know, I'm a great hunter, but everything that I hunted was our own land. Right. And I knew every rock, pebble, tree, stream, you know. So last year was very weird. So I basically, I grew up on on a river, and I went about 60 miles south of where I grew up and hunted it the same way on public. You know, I looked for, you know, the thick bottoms and things like that, and I started putting cameras up, and I found big bucks right away. So then when I tried to, um, hunt them rut functionally, like I grew up hunting, you know, starting at Halloween, the public land that I had these cameras on and these, these deer, I was never getting anything during the daylight, obviously, because there was pheasant hunters in there and other deer hunters. So it was, it was driving me crazy, you know, I'd be sitting in my tree stand and someone would pull up in a suburban and a couple labs would hop out and come over and take a shit underneath my tree or, or a kid would <laughs> one time there was this 14 year old kid. He just came. It was like, um, well in South Dakota, they have a mentor deer hunting deal, but you have to be with an adult who has a license and, um, he has to be with you. So it was, you know, it was uh, late October and this, this real young kid comes walking under my stand, you know, at 
at about eight o'clock in the morning and they had been sitting in their car since before the sun came up, you know, I could see the car and he walks under my stand and I go, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I, and he looks up, you know, and he's like, I'm hunting. And I said, <laughs> I go, what are you hunting? He said, deer. And I said, isn't somebody supposed to be with you? And he said, my dad's in his pickup over there. And I said, I don't think that works. I said, you're going to have to walk back to him and, and tell him that if, if he has a problem, he should, he can come talk to me, but you're supposed to have an adult with you or something like that. And, yeah. you know, the guy of course walks out and I wave to him, you know, and it's just like, geez, you know, <laughs> so I climbed down and, but the beauty of, of what I do is I, I had, you know, you know, I could have a thousand hunting spots if I want, you know, yeah. because of my job and, and, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, sometimes earlier, you know, I'm just driving along and I'll just throw my gear on and climb up in a tree until the sun goes down. And that's, that was, and is the beauty of, of what goes on. And you mean you as know, far as public land is concerned, right? So yeah, talk to absolutely. Us, you know, you got this huge range. How mm -hmm. many? How many guests? You know, your best guess. How many acres of public ground do you have access to in the area that you cover for your job? Three million. Three million Maybe. acres of public Something ground. Something like yeah. Some it's it's a crazy number. I was trying to figure it out. You know. Um, you know, because I can next year, I'm probably going to hunt in Nebraska too, because I cover Northeast Nebraska and next year I am going to get a, um, a tag for the Yankton Sioux tribe reservation, which is thousands of acres that, that it's, they have mule deer as well as whitetail, you know, it's Missouri river breaks all the yeah. way to to farm ground, but it's Dan, South Dakota is blessed with millions of acres of public land. And, you know, this national thing is getting a lot of press, but South Dakota is going through some crazy public land things. There was an issue to, I believe today that was voted down in the house where they were going to allow um, farmers and ranchers to sell their tags. Okay. Yeah. So if there's, if there's a farmer out there, he can just get a tag and, you know, invite you out to his ranch and write him a check for five grand and get yourself a nice trophy muley, you know, yeah. where me, I have to go into a lottery, okay. you know, I so see it. thank God, thank God they shot it down. But right. you know, it was, there was uh, 13 sponsors of the bill and, all but three of them were farmers and ranchers. So okay. that kind of tells you what's going on. But anyway, that's, that's South Dakota, tons of public land and we just need to keep it that way. So, gotcha. but I didn't grow up that way. And I think that's where you kind of want to go. And yeah, yeah. I, I want, so you had, you had this dispute with your, with your family, you lost access mm -hmm. to this private ground that you've been hunting all your life. And, mm -hmm. uh, you got, you you threw hunting away for a while until your son mm -hmm. 
wanted you to get back into it, right? You didn't have yeah. any place yeah. to go, so the uh, you you started doing you know hunting public ground sixty miles to the south. Now, th- I want to talk about those. You know, you mentioned a couple frustrations that you had mm-hmm. on already, like you know the kid walking through or you know someone pulling up with dogs. How did 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 you have to relearn to hunt? Uh, on this public oh. ground uh, and talk about, you know, you mentioned some frustrations, but as far as strategy is concerned, talk a little bit about what you actually had to relearn from a absolutely. St- it was well, and, and people that hunt both public and private realize this, but growing up um, with the deer on our own ranch, they were, they were out all the time. And I, I never really, um, I, I bow hunted for 15 years and I, I only owned about, well, I didn't own that many tree stands or ladders. Most of my tree hunting, I would put boards up and I do a lot of stalking because I could, I could walk a tree belt or go sit in a slough cause I could find the deer during the day. And it was, it was a lot like mule deer hunting spotting and stalking because i knew where they were they would they would bed in the fence lines and stuff like that when i started hunting public i had to be a lot more focused on bedding focused on you know transitions between bedding and food um a lot more tree stand hunting and trying to figure out where they were during the day on public versus private so quickly i learned that um i was getting all of these great pictures and video right on the edges of these public lands whether it was next to a gravel road or next to a you know a fence line that converted from public to private the edges you know i'm a bass guy so I, I fish edges and I hunt edges. So I started, you know, on, on your show, I always hear you ask about, you know, did you hunt outside in, inside out? Most of the public has basically, you know, one direction in. It'll, ha- it'll be bordered by private on three sides with one side where you park and hike in. So basically the game always sees you coming from that, you know, so it didn't really make sense to try to go to the back of the, the plot. Um, so I started basically hunting and I do hunt very close to where I park. And, um, I've actually heard a couple guys on your show talk about that too. And when we get to talking about how I killed my buck, I mean, it was like, you know, a lot of times people drive by and they, they can see me sitting in my stand, but they have no idea the videos and the pictures I have of those deer crossing, you know, right. roads and stuff so, like that. It's just a matter of catching them right. when the light's shining, you know. So, so the they look at you a little crazy, right? I mean, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. when you first got, you know, started hunting this, you know, back on public, 
everybody talks mm-hmm. about, hey, if you want to, if you want to catch a big buck on public ground or, or be successful on public ground, you have to be willing to go deeper than anybody else because that's where the deer deer are at. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're saying that's not true, but you have evidence to support that, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's true to some point. You know, some of the big, you know, expansive public lands that, you know, you can come in multiple directions. I'm talking this this particular piece of ground is shaped kind of like the state of California where you know, where the Pacific Ocean is on this deal, it's a gravel road. And then on the other side, it's a river. So basically, you know, you can only come in one way. So right. next year, I, I think I'm going to do a kayak thing and come in on the backside, you know, but mo- a lot of the public ground in South Dakota is along gravel roads or it's along highways and it's surrounded on three sides by private. Okay. So unless you have permission, so you know, like I said, most of the most of the animals, if they are in the backside, they've seen you coming for a long time. Right. You know, unless you can get away to come in the backside. Right. So so yeah, I mean, it, if you can just basically park your car, get to a quick spot, you know, less stress on the on the total area. Right. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about this whole process that you've kind of developed, right? This, Mm -hmm. this piece of property that, you know, you just described is one of those pieces of property where you saw it pop up on this, this app, the South Dakota app that you had been using while you were driving down the road, right? Yep. And then you drove by it and you said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to put a couple of trail cameras throughout here on, on a on a trail that crosses the road, right? Mm -hmm. And that is how you identified, you know, some of these bucks that you would consider shooters, right? Yeah. Okay. So then, so then, you know, you, you're doing this across 3 million acres or, you know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily that you personally were working 3 million acres, but you know, you would, you would put a trail camera there. If there was something there, you would maybe focus on it. If not, you move it yep. and it's on to the next one, right? Yep, exactly. So, so you're really not intruding onto these. You know, you're you're not intruding. You're doing. You're basically scouting with a trail camera, right? Correct. And and looking at looking at sign. You know, um, just growing up. You know, with a lot of tree belts and stuff like that you can basically be driving down the highway and look at a tree line and see branches hanging and know that there's probably a scrape over there or you know just looking at you know trails along sloughs or something like that you know especially it's great when there's snow because you can see a a game trail for a long ways but Yeah. yeah i pull over on the highway and i get my binoculars out and I just start scoping. And then I'm like, yeah, pop a camera up there, check it in a week. You know, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And, but yeah, it's, but you have to kind of, I always, and the nice thing about that app is you could be driving down the highway and, and look out and all you see is a cut cornfield, but you know, you see that there's, it's, 
it's public for almost a mile and you look out across that across the landscape and you see tops of trees sticking out and you right. you know pull up google earth or something you're like holy crap there's a crick out there right. you know so you you run a half a mile across a cut cut bean field that is what they call walk-in area which there's no habitat whatsoever the farmers are still getting paid for that yeah but no one else is going to hunt that i guarantee you so you get out there and you find a little tiny crick or something and you're like whoa you know yeah those are the nice little honey holes but they're, those are also super hard to get into without getting busted so that's the problem but the, so. from a hunter from a, a hunting pressure it's overlooked a because people aren't taking the time to pull up the maps online they're just looking at it from the road and saying hey this is just a cornfield there's not going to be any yeah. deer bedded in here correct okay yeah so you, they're everybody's everybody's just at the the traditional spots like this other spot down on the river bottom you know right. they don't look at the little tiny spots that you know might um you know i i found a little tiny spot along a highway i saw an old schoolhouse sitting on the top of this hill that was all dilapidated and and there was a little stand of cedar trees and it was probably only 20 acres 25 acres it was up in in this corner and it was right on a highway and i and i pulled my car over and i found this old state of south dakota sign that had been shot up and i couldn't hardly even read it so i'm thinking you know i didn't see it on the map and i thought maybe it was a a school in public lands or something and i I hopped the fence and I walked in there and it was just a jungle to get in there. And then in the middle of all these cedars, it kind of opened up and there was a giant buck bedded in there that I busted out of his bed. And I was just like, Oh crap. And it was right on a highway. And I, I know that deer didn't have to ever leave that area. So I, I drove to the, the county seat and I went in and I talked to the sheriff and the game warden and I, and then they're like, no, that's private now, you know, but that's the type of thing where people, and then I called the landowner and he said that somebody else was hunting that, but basically they were hunting the river bottom. They weren't hunting this little teeny tiny useless thing that was on the highway because nobody would, you know, but those are the kind of things that, People that I've learned in my two-year public hunting career that are really overlooked, that people, gotcha. you know, and deer get pressured into those spots, you know. Yeah, so, for sure. So did you, mm-hmm. how many trail cameras are you running at one time? Probably a dozen. A dozen, 12 roughly. Yeah. Okay. Out yeah, over yeah. over how many pieces of property? Ooh, got I'm moving them all the time, so okay. they, yeah, they, they're covering, you know. So it's just like between a, 100, so 150 miles. Okay. Probably. So it's just a kind of a bing, bing, bing. Up for two weeks. Yep. Okay, check it. Nothing's on it. Move it. Up for two yep. weeks. Checking nothing on it. Now, in a yep. scenario, in a scenario like this, where 
throw the camera up, come back a week later, boom, monster buck. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do? What's your approach at this point? Now it's, you know, get a stand. Where do I, you know, you know, do I hunt them on the ground? Do I put a stand up? That sort of thing. A lot of times, um, I resort to the way I learned and because I've had some stuff stolen, if, you know, there's some of those giant oaks, I will just screw some steps in the tree and hunt out of the tree, you know, and I'll, it's kind of the, there's lots of places that I hunted only one or two times, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it, it depends on if the pictures were nocturnal or not, but, you know, a lot of times it was, I would just hunt it, you know, once or twice, but I, I usually, this year I, I was after a, a buck that was in, um, all the way over on the east side of South Dakota, right on the Iowa border. I mean, it was on the Sioux river. So I found him January 6th of last year and I went after him and I found him in September, even bigger. And I, I focused on him and then, uh, he was my number one. And then where I hunted last year, 100, 130 miles west of there, I had cameras there too. And then, but, uh, I didn't okay. find the buck that I killed for another month and a half. So, all right. So I'm looking at this picture of this buck. He's gigantic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, and that was your number two. He was my number two. Okay. Yep. So how big was the number one buck that you found? Uh, he's a four by four and I'm just guessing, but I think he's close to 200 and he's, well, he's, he's five by four. So he's, he's, he's a, giant. a 200 inch nine pointer. Yeah. That was my number one. <laughs> okay. I've never met you before. I want to, I want to throw a bullshit flag, but, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at the picture of the buck that you killed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have a feeling you kind of know what you're talking about. Um, so do you have a picture of that big nine pointer? Yeah, I have a video of him. I have three or four big videos. Of okay. Him. Hang on. I think I found it. I'm going to, I'm going to watch yeah. it. I'm going to watch it here real quick. Is that the one? And, I, and I'm he's totally, got like I'm foot- totally just, yeah. Okay. He, he's walking really slow. That yep. lazy, I call him lazy. He's giant. Yeah, his, okay, and he's got a a ton of junk, and his brow tines are, what, 12 inches? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I don't think he's, I don't think he's 200, but he's gigantic. Yeah, he's he's just giant, but his body is just, yeah, he's he's a huge deer, and that deer, never, I never saw him during the day. He walked, he walked underneath my tree stand at six 30 in the morning and, um, in, uh, late mid to late November. And he was like a Angus bull, you know, it was freaky. He was like an elk walked under me. Just too, just, just like, not enough time to not enough shooting. Oh, light. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was black. It was dark. Okay. And he was, but it was, he was just a, 
it was just a mass going underneath me. But yeah, right. he's he's giant. So and he, was and those videos that I took, Dan, were um, sixty sixty seventy feet from a gravel road. My lord, those on public ground. That blows my mind. On public ground. Okay. On so, public ground. So was this buck, the, the big nine-pointer that you just described, and the uh, your number two buck that you actually ended up shooting, were they on the same mm-hmm. piece of property? Uh, sometimes. They were across the river from each other. Okay. The bi- so, but, yeah, they, they, they crossed that river like it's, like it's nothing, but, but yeah, he was, they were, they were within, um, within a mile of each other. Yeah. So you, you hit the jackpot when you threw trail cameras up in this area, so to speak. Oh yeah. There was, there was in, you know, what I call a shooter, you know, one, one thirty, one forty. there was probably four or five within a two mile area. Right four or five bucks that I would have killed. Right. So in this particular, and that, that was in this, the state of California looking piece of public ground. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. So did anybody, did you run into any other hunters? Because bucks (laughs) don't get that big and that mature if they're, if they're pressured, right? They're big, mature bucks. Aren't going to hang around on a piece of public ground if they're pressured unless they feel 100% safe. So was there any other hunting pressure or was this just a random piece of public ground that was completely overlooked and there was no other hunters? Probably six, um, 146 acres. There were six bow hunters. Okay. So that's that's okay. quite a bit of pressure, if you ask me. Yes, and and um, the majority of it was CRP and standing corn food plots. So there was pheasant hunters there probably four to five days a week for two months. Uh, this is unbelievable. on that ground. Yeah. With this dogs. Is, yeah. You know, and not, not counting the spotlighters and the poachers and everybody else. So yeah. the pressure is immense. So do you feel you know? that, that there were other people who knew these bucks existed in the area? <laughs> the game warden, who's a friend of mine had videos of the same buck that I killed, um, I would, we shared videos and a couple times we had videos the same day and that deer would be like, I knew where he bedded, he bedded up on that top. If you look at that map, mm-hmm. like up on that point way on the top, that's where he bedded and he would travel down and go over to that private stuff, which was almost a mile. And the, and the game warden hunted the private part, and it was owned by the sheriff there. Okay. And uh, th- those two guys hunted the private. So the sheriff and a couple guys knew about these bucks, 
and I knew about them. But okay. I was Mr. Public on the other side of the road. So. Right. So this buck was betting on private ground, you think, and he was walking mm-hmm. through all this public ground to get to more private ground. I had him. He would either walk on the riverbank, which was crazy, and that's kind of a funny story, but I, um, I lost him. I got the first picture of him September 11th, okay, okay? A, a still picture, and I got several still pictures of him um, throughout the, the month of September and into October, but they were always blurry, and so um, I really wasn't too focused on him. I'm like, yeah, it looks big, but it's blurry, but so then mid-November after the pheasant hunting had really cranked up and the rifle season started, um, that deer started walking on the riverbank and it's steep. And he would, I actually put cameras down on the bank and he would travel, but he would always travel in the dark. You know, I, I hunted him, you know, 30, 30, 35 times, 35 days. Yeah. And I saw him, I saw him in the light three times, two times I got on full draw one time I killed him. Yeah. And the, the very, the very first time that I saw him in the, in the light, I was, um, I had a decoy set up and he was on the other side of the river. It was the first week in December and I snort wheezed and he spun around, stuck his tail up and he was going to cross the river and a pickup came hauling ass right behind me because I'm hunting right next to the road. And a pickup came hauling ass and slammed on the brakes and stuck their gun out the window. And they were going to shoot that deer. It was right on, right across on the other side of the river. And they saw me sitting there in the tree. And so he ran off. But that's, that's what I deal with. You know, I deal with guys sticking guns out car windows shooting into the trees to get stuff running while i'm sitting in there i mean it's crazy so So. explain to me this map a little bit okay what Mm -hmm. are the dotted and and i'm gonna for all of those are the hang on one second the dots are his trails okay so for everybody who's listening right now he made a little map uh and i'm gonna post it on um the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. So just follow the link from Facebook to um, the actual blog, and I'll post these pictures for you guys to look at. All right, so the the green were the trails that he used, and the mm-hmm. the yellow little stars, those were your setups or trail cameras yep. or what? Yep. The, okay. the yellow stars, the yellow stars are the three spots where I saw him. Okay. okay. You had your encounters so the with top, him. Yes. The top star um, was the Friday before Thanksgiving. The Thursday, be- um, a week before Thanksgiving, I shot a deer in the shoulder with a rage hypodermic that I thought was the easy, it was 20 yards standing broadside. I shot this deer. And I hung my bow up and texted my kid. And I'm, I'm just like, I just killed the dumbest deer I've ever met. I 
snort wheezed him. He came in, boom. And the arrow must have um, shot out towards the front of his chest or something. It didn't hardly even penetrate. And so I, I tracked that. I shot him at 8 in the morning, tracked until the sun went down, got in that same tree um, right at, at uh, sunup. The deer I ended up killing came right under me. I got it full draw, and it really wasn't that great of a shot because there was some trees there and stuff, and I let him go because I had this other deer that I needed to, when it, when it got light, I needed to go look for him. So I looked for that other deer for two days. Then three days later, I, I got that gimpy deer on, Hang on. camera. Okay. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, this is crazy because you shot a deer, you were tracking him, you figured, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go sit in the stand, I'm going to wait for it to get light, and then, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to go look for him again. While you're doing that, this other big buck comes through and you don't shoot him because you feel you didn't put enough effort into shooting the, Correct. you know, and looking for had the it. buck. You, I, I already had a deer down. Yes. And, right. and, and this giant was 10 yards Gee, many Christmas. underneath me and I got on full draw and I let him go. And then I looked that, whole day that takes some guts I, man i know i, I know there, i even a, called this blood yeah i called a blood tracker guy out of sioux falls and everything and i i talked to him about my deer and i'm like because we the game warden tracked that other deer with me and yeah. we we lost the blood trail and it it was never spurting it was just so and then i i got him on video a few days later and um he was alive and then the, the game warden showed me a picture of a deer and I thought it was him, but, but actually about, about three weeks ago, I saw that deer that I shot. He's, he's still limping a little bit and he has, he's missing his right side horn that had dropped off already, but I yeah. saw him. He's still alive. He's just wow. kind of gimpy, but yeah. So I, I switched, you know, I switched broadheads right away too. So. <laughs> So, okay. So that was your first encounter with him. You yeah, that was up. the first, that was the okay. first encounter with, with, with this deer I killed, I call crabby. That was the first encounter I had with him. And that, and that was, was the furthest, the furthest North star on this. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And okay. then the middle, the middle star is the kill star right down in the corner by the road is okay. where I, where I, um, where I killed him. And then that other, that bottom star was where he was across on the other side of the river with the decoy. Okay. So those were the only, those were the only three times in from, from September 11th to okay. December 11th that I saw that deer in the light. Okay. So and I had tons well, of pictures at night. Okay. So, so that the middle star, I'm looking at is still on. You were sitting in that tree stand mm-hmm. close to the road and you ended up mm-hmm. seeing him across the river on this little peninsula. Uh, you yeah. had a decoy out. You were trying to get him in. That's when the guys mm-hmm. came with a gun, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. They were on, you can see that road. It's right there. 
So how many days in a row does this whole adventure take place to kill this buck? Oh, God. Well, you know, like I said, I was hunting, you know, lots of places, but I hunted that place probably uh, 25, 30 days maybe. Okay. From, from, yeah. All right. It was a lot. All right. That's so that... my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> And you're, but and you're it wasn't, still it wasn't, it wasn't full, day, full days. Yeah. It wasn't full days or anything. You know, it'd be like, you know, the day I killed him, um, I got in a stand at four thirty. Yeah. You know, I wasn't even going to hunt that day. I put my gear on over my work clothes, but, wow. um, so my so question is, just, oh. okay. My question is here out of those 25 days, you only had, you only saw him three times, right? Yeah, and I will tell you, I hunted. I had, I had five tree stands up, okay. and three ground blinds on that 146 acres. Okay, so you were putting a lot of time and energy into this place, and so were mm-hmm. other bow hunters, right? Oh God, yeah. So, yeah. did you have any conversations with these other bow hunters about this? you know, what they were seeing while you were out there. Cause you know, if you're parking mm-hmm. in a parking lot or, you know, it sounds on, on the a, gravel road. Yeah. There's six guys there. And you know, you said there's six bow hunters. You're bound to run into somebody at some point. I would think, mm-hmm. did you, did you run into anybody? Did you have any conversations? Did someone go, yeah. did someone go? Yep. I saw a giant. Mm-hmm. Well, there was, um, there was a young kid, He's a freshman in college now. Last year, I actually had some issues with him where the game warden had to get involved, but we kind of buried the hatchet. And he shot it. He was back from college over President's Week, which is in mid-October, and he killed a little, just a little teeny tiny 4 by 3 that um, the deer actually died right in front of my trail camera. But um, I talked... And then he brought one of his buddies to kill his first doe in mid mid November, and these guys would always come out at like eight in the morning, and then they'd always or at like four thirty in the afternoon, you know, and they'd always roll in in their truck and come, you know, stomping through, and I got down out of my stand and mid mid November. And I said, I said, uh, and this is, he's a farm kid. His family owns a bunch of land and he hunts down here. I don't know why, but I said, uh, there's a giant buck there. That's why he's hunting. Well, yeah, I don't know what the deal is, but he didn't, he told me, he goes, yeah, I took, I took the biggest thing that's around here. And I go, what? And I showed him those videos Mm -hmm. and he goes, that isn't down here. I said, yeah, it is. And he goes, Oh God, I go, dude, you, you needed to wait or, or, you know, just show up. Cause we had, we had pretty bad EHD this year. And on this, on this piece of ground, I swear there's only like seven does. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there's, you know, bunch of little bucks people probably shouldn't even be killing deer unless they're old mature guys you know yeah. but anyway this kid and 
I just, I probably hunted a lot more. People really had no idea that those kind of deer were there. A couple of the pheasant hunters did, but they were pure pheasant hunters that were chasing them up out of the CRP. But the deer hunters, they had no idea. And the rifle hunters, it's hilarious. I'd sit in my tree and I'd watch the, the rifle hunters drive through the property and the deer would be boiling out, you know, where if they would just walk with their stupid rifles, they could kill these deer. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous. No, right. People don't expect those big ones to be there. Right. So talk, talk to me a little bit about, was there a predominant wind direction that you needed to hunt this property? Or no, because you were so close to the road, were these deer <clears throat> using the same trails for all winds? I mean, this buck, to, to me, it sounds am, like this buck was moving from the northeast to the southwest every time. Yeah, and it was, um, <clears throat> to be totally honest, I I use Ozonics, I use Sipi gear, I'm never really worried about wind, and I really kind of never have. I've gotten so close to deer, and I'm very confident in the scent control that it's, you know, I worry about it as I'm walking in. And that's really kind of why I like to hunt close to the edge because then I'm not, you know, sending a bunch of scent across the whole thing. But um, the wind didn't really matter. But this season, it was the heat, man, like everybody. It was, I truly did not really see a lot of deer this season. You know, there were days where I went with no deer, which was crazy. Right. You know, but, but my nighttime cameras, they were going nuts. Okay. But it was the heat. Wind really didn't matter too bad. Okay. And what, what date did you kill this buck on? Uh, December 12th. Okay. So December 12th 12th with a bow. Now, yep. why don't you, let's go, let's talk through November tw- or no, November or December? December 12th. Yeah. December 12th. December okay. 12th. December 12th. Yep. You, you said you got into stand late, right? Yeah. So this is, um, I think it was on December 9th. I found a, I found a dead buck. He was a, a seven by seven, a pretty young deer, but he was pretty nice. And I, I found him dead and I wanted to have his head. So on December 12th, I was going through the town where the game warden's office was. And I wanted to stop and see if he could give me one of those tags, you know, like when you hit one with a car or whatever, so I can have this deer's head. He wasn't there. Um, so I talked to the sheriff and the sheriff, he said, tells me, yeah, we saw that that eight by eight on Saturday. And I said, well, that's good that he's still alive. And I left there and I, I called home and my fiance said she didn't feel well. She goes, why don't you just sit in your stand until it's dark? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> don't have to I ask drove, me twice. <laughs> exactly. So I drove a couple miles and got out, put on my, cause it was cold finally. And, uh, I put my Sitka, fanatic stuff on which i love climbed in my tree and about a half an hour later i'm i'm like you know 20 yards from the road i actually heard deer 
coming up behind me down the down the road they came across from the private land and it was three bucks three does they came right under me and one buck was close to being a shooter they were just kind of milling around and um a side note too on my stand faces east and that big super moon was up over the river i mean it was it was beautiful but anyway i got these deer all around me and then they kind of boogied out i don't know what was going on but so then about 20 minutes later i heard footsteps again and i turned around and it was a doe first and a buck and the they had to kind of where my stand was my eye level was kind of where the road is so they had to kind of drop down in there with me and i just saw this giant rack and i never looked at his rack again it just you know how you say shooter yeah and i i got on full draw and he was coming and that corner down there is all um oaks and scrub oaks and ash it's pretty thick stuff and he's coming through there and the wind actually was at my was coming across my face and he stopped at like 13 yards downwind and it was just like nibbling on branches and stuff and i'm on full draw and i still never looked at his rack and i just I was bending down and creeping and leaning back and forth. And there was like a, there was like a window. He's only 13 yards away. I could see his gut, his back, his ass and his neck. And I put the, put the arrow right in this window. My luminite disappeared and just, and he bucked up and just crash, crash, crash. Then big crash. And I was just like, holy shit, he's dead, you know? Yeah. And I texted home and I said, I just shot a giant. I still didn't know it was the deer that, that I had been chasing all season. And I said, I'm get, I called home and, and, uh, I walked to get my flashlight out of my car, which is only like 60 yards away on the gravel road and left my stuff there and, came back with a flashlight, found my arrow, crawled through, and he was only about probably 35 yards away. And the tip of his nose was like right next to the gravel road. And I'll send you that picture because it's kind of funny. And right after after he crashed, um, a truck drove by, and I was ready to scramble down because I I thought that they would steal the deer, you know? Yeah. And, but he, he died with the tip of his nose, like a foot from the gravel road. And I backed my Subaru up like 60 yards. And it's kind of funny. This is kind of the funny part, but so, um, I haven't talked a lot about this, Dan, but nature to me is, is my church, you know? And, um, with the moon out, you know, I saw two bald eagles that day that evening and um that super moon was up and i spent so much time basically you know praying and you know thanking god for the blessing of what happened um that 
my car battery was dead on my car. And <laughs> so, so it took me like an hour and a half before I got him gutted and in my car, you know, and, and yeah. uh, plus my car was full of work stuff. So I had to, it was crazy, but I called, called the game warden. He wasn't answering. So I called that sheriff that I talked to a few hours earlier made the mistake of telling him I just killed that eight by eight because he wouldn't come jump my car. So, <laughs> can you believe that? Well, what I can't him. believe is you've gutted a deer and put it in the back of a Subaru. <laughs> oh, dude. I should, it's, it's awesome. That, that'd you know, be an awesome I'm, Subaru commercial. Oh, God. I know. So, so I got him. So the sheriff's, supposedly was um, going to call a farmer that lived down the road. And I was sitting there with my windows down and 45 minutes later, no one was coming. And a couple um, Mennonite guys pulled up and they jumped my car and I got out of there, but it was, it was crazy. And it was, um, I just, it was a, it was a, such a spiritual event and and i knew what i had accomplished you know um for for killing a deer like that on public land and of course i have these friends and stuff that you know i posted on facebook and they're like you know i was oh, proud that it was public land and yeah. they're, they're like good job man because a lot of guys get you know nice muleys and stuff you know on public in south dakota but to get a big white tail like that is is pretty special especially on a that thing is so pressured, you know, yeah. and, but it's, it was just, I think that buck, you know, rifle season was over and it was December 12th. So, you know, there might've been, you know, a couple, cause the seek, the seek chase stage was like November 3rd, 4th was, was the seek, you know? So I figured, you know, December 12th, he might've, you know, there might've been a, a doe or two that, but he was with that doe and she might've been hot. I don't know, but he was, he was straight downwind to me. Ozonics. I mean, that deer had no idea I was there Yeah. and he just wouldn't step out. So I took the shot and got lucky. So, so my question, my next question is I have two, two questions. One, what did he, what did this buck end up scoring? Well, and how old I never had him scored. I, I think he was five, five and a half, you know, and And he was, he he was pretty small body. He was, he was freaking worn down, but I have, um, his videos from September, he was super muscular and, you know, I mean, I pulled him into that Subaru by myself and, but, um, I think he was five and a half and I put the, I put the tape on him. He's at eight by eight and I used that, the Boone and Crockett website, put all those numbers in and he had uh, four and an eighth deductions and scored 185 and an eighth. So he was, he was net 185. Yeah. Net 185. So so basically he's a 190 class buck. Yeah. Yeah. On public ground, five-year-old. Wow. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Yep. Um, the only yep. other question I have is, 
why were all these deer crossing the road? What what was the was there a uh, a food source across the road that they were all gathering? Well, at? they would um, they would cross they would cross the road and it, and the the topography would go straight up, you know, yeah. pretty much. And there was these big draws, these big oak oak draws that that led up that were you know like a half half mile to a mile long and it would lead up to uh, pasture ground and you know massive alfalfa fields and stuff like that so i think they i think they probably preferred those big oak draws to um you know down on this public there was brassicas there was standing corn and crp but honestly last year i hunted that standing corn when it got cold and there's really no activity and they're in the brassicas a little bit but i still think they preferred you know feeding on the acorns and the, the stuff that were on that other side but yeah. so they would they would always cross that public you know before the sun came up and then they would come back after the sun came down yeah. and i had him i had him dialed in for three months i just could never get him in the light and at this time there was and i'm i'm not kidding you there was we're talking minutes left yeah. you know when i killed him and it was just a fluke five minutes later i wouldn't have been able to shoot him yeah so it was Man. so yeah, it was pretty, so pretty crazy. Uh, now you know this piece of property is a producer because there mm-hmm. is, you know, you had an almost shooter come by. You know, if he made he he made it through the winter, yeah. uh, he's going to be a shooter next year. And then you got this other gigantic eight pointer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. With all the junk, he's he's going to potentially be back if nothing happened to him. Uh, so is this a piece of property that you're going to be paying attention to uh, for 2017? Yeah. Well. This is, I didn't tell you this, but I didn't even have my hunting license until, um, November 1st. Yeah. I, I never even got in the tree until November 3rd. I told you I'm, 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 you know, I hunt the rut and that's it. And that's how I grew up. But next year I'm thinking, you know what? Pheasant season has been going on for three freaking weeks. Yeah. Why don't I get out there? right when the season starts before the pheasant hunters, yeah. you know, and it, it took me two years to figure that out, Dan. So yeah. next year, um, you know, cause I have cameras out in August and stuff and I know what's there. So, yeah. so I'm going to try to do it early next year before yeah. the pressure is there because I, I actually had some, some daylight pictures and then I'm going to just do better summer scouting. Right. So, cause I'm, I'm too busy fishing, man. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't do a lot of scouting in the summer. I have some cameras out, but I'm going to, I'm going to do some, some sitting and driving and, and figure it out. And I'm going to try to kill them when there's still mosquitoes out, but there nice. was mosquitoes in November this year. But. Nice. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to get them before the pheasant hunters get out there next year. So well, I tell you what, man. Uh, keep us all posted on, on how you do, uh, for 2017 and maybe we'll have to get you on the show again. Yeah. Well, next year I'm, I'm going on a muley hunt on the West river. That's my goal too. So, 
and it and I'm going to Arizona next December to chase coos deer with my kid. Oh, nice! That'll so be fun. That's that's the goal. Never, I've never hunted outside of the state, so. Huge shout out to Patrick for coming on the podcast today and sharing that story with us. Some pretty interesting information, if you ask me. Huge shout out to each and every one of you, the listeners, for taking time to download this podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Um, Again, if it wasn't for you guys, none of this would be possible. And uh, huge shout out to the partners of the podcast, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to enter the code 9FINGERS at checkout. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS, no spaces, and you'll receive $20 off your purchase. Huge shout out to Deer Lab and Ripcord Arrow Rest. Other than that, guys, check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, If you guys have any questions or you want to be a guest on the podcast, uh, you can message me through Facebook. You could uh, message me at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com. Or if you want to do a product review or if you know someone who uh, would love to... uh, you know, you think should come on the show because they're a big buck killer or a consistent killer or whatever, you know, send them my way. Also, one thing that I kind of want to bring to everybody's attention is if there is a, a company that you want to have interviewed, go to their Facebook page, send them a message and let them know that, uh, um, Hey, we would love to get you on the nine finger Chronicles podcast uh, to review your products and or to talk about your products, not review it really, but uh, discuss like we do with all the other companies that come on this on this podcast. But uh, yeah, spread the word that way as well. And uh, guys, this keep it public movement. Uh, we had a we had a, a pretty good win as far as battles are concerned, but the war is not over. So remember. The next time you're on social media, join some of these organizations, join this Keep It Public movement, and remember to keep it public.